Cody McBroom, we are live. We're live. What's up, man? You can hear me. Audio sounds good. Audio sounds great. Amazing. Amazing. Man, listen, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for dealing with my nonsense of of postponing the podcast and postponing it a couple more hours. I appreciate you being so flexible with me. Absolutely, man. I've been trying my best. Uh, you'll appreciate this, too limit my schedule these last few weeks and even the first few weeks of the new year just to kind of give myself a break and not get burnt out you know because for a while it was just like thing after thing after thing and I think as an entrepreneur like more is better in your mind sometimes mm -hmm. and then until it's too much and you're like okay. yeah <laughs> I, my I was like don't book anything at all <laughs> for like four weeks for me please that's amazing that's as I literally don't have any podcasts booked this week or next week at all. I was like, I'm just going to take, and obviously, you know, we're doing this podcast and I have a couple others, but like, usually I do like two or three a day. So like to have like the whole calendar just empty is great. It's super, yeah. super refreshing. Yeah, it's nice. 100%. So, so I know you have a hard stop in one hour and one minute from this moment. Um, I have a couple of things I want to talk with you about today before we dive into them. Actually, I got these things from your Instagram. I was just scrolling through your Instagram. Your content's amazing. I, I think it's, it's, I'm doing this whole overrated, underrated thing right now for my content. I think your Instagram is severely underrated. Do you want to tell people where they can follow you on Instagram? And I appreciate that a lot coming from you, dude. Um, my uh, Instagram, I actually just changed it. It is just at Cody McBroom. It was Cody Boom Boom for a long time. <laughs> uh, a lot of people knew me as... Cody Boom Boom McBroom, <laughs> which uh, started in high school, but um, it's the end of an era, man. By the time this goes out, it'll be live. We're actually changing the name of the podcast, too. So the podcast it has wow. been the performance podcast, and we're changing that to the Tailored Life podcast because we have people on. We talk about so much more than just fitness and health, you know, so yep. the Tailored Life, like kind of life by design kind of felt right, and it matches the actual company name, and I removed Cody Boom Boom from Instagram, so I was like, it's the end of an era, like I'm, I'm almost 30, like let me, <laughs> 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 it's a bit, it's a big rebrand. Yeah, it is, man, and, and we did it last year, uh, right at the new year, this year actually, in January, we changed the name of the company, so I'm kind of doing it again with, uh, on Jan January 1st. So on Friday, as we're recording this, the new podcast name goes live and we'll have everything out. So wow. I'm excited though. It's good, man. And, and, uh, but yeah, Instagram is at Cody McBroom. Uh, I post a lot of fitness and nutrition content, obviously. And then occasionally you'll get a really ridiculously cute picture of my daughter. Um, and that's not a, <laughs> I, I love the video when, when, uh, I think, was it your father that dressed up as Santa Claus uh, or was it your father. wife's father? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she was just petrified. <laughs> it's so funny because we were like, uh, all right, let's set this up because we can't go to the mall, you know, because of COVID. And uh, Travis, my media guy, will film everything. And she's going to she's going to lose it. She loves Christmas. She loves Christmas movies. She loves Santa Claus. Like, she's going to be so happy. Like, let's get this on camera. So you expected her to love it. You didn't expect oh, anything. OK, all right. <laughs> we, we thought she was going to absolutely love it. And then as I'm trying to take her out of the office, she's screaming no dad go back dad like <laughs> just the office i pulled her back it was dude it was so funny the cool the funny thing too was finally i was like craig pull off the beard just just show her who you are so she can stop freaking out and he pulls it off and she realizes and she's just like <laughs> just, for those listening, just mugging him like she was so mad at him all day for like tricking her <laughs> was she, oh she she was oh, like yeah. you tricked me why would you do that yeah 100 percent. so funny yeah, it was it was great though. I was so glad we got that on camera. 
it's funny. I, I obviously don't remember this because I was, I was so young, but I'm Jewish, so I didn't have Santa. But my mom was also, she was never like, Santa doesn't exist. She like, she wouldn't want me to spoil it for other kids in school. And she also liked the idea of, of she loves imagination. So there's no way she was going to say, you know, it's not real. So she, like, I very much believed Santa was real. I was just told Santa didn't come to our house. And I remember uh, my family friend, they had a Christmas party. And so we went. And uh, I don't remember what I did, but it's a famous family story of me basically doing exactly what your daughter did. Where, like, you know, they brought me over to sit on his lap and I freaked out. I was like, get me away from this. Like, what is this? Why are you giving me to this random stranger? My whole life, you're always like, don't talk to strangers. Now you're just putting me in his lap. Like, I can understand why that would be super scary for a little kid. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. The The first thing I thought of, um, and I can totally relate to that too, like my uncle's Jewish, so we always kind of have like a mixed holiday uh, to, to kind of support him and everything. But um, I always like thought it was weird because I'm, I'm like, well, she's – obsessed like we have a santa claus like well not anymore because holidays over but like a decor doll thing she loves she has santa claus toys she always wants to watch the grinch she does the elf on the shelf <laughs> like i was like there's no way she's not going to be ecstatic because she clearly fucking loves christmas you know? <laughs> and <laughs> as soon as it's real <laughs> she just loses. Uh, and then i feel bad because i'm like she's crying and scared and I'm laughing. And then my, my father-in-law, he's like the sweet grandpa feels horrible. And he's like trying to make up for it. And I just think it's hilarious. So especially cause I was the good guy. She was like clinging to me and not mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It must be weird for, for your father-in-law. Cause I'm sure she loves seeing him most of the time. So for her to like to be like, no, I don't want to go near you. It's like, gotta feel terrible. <laughs> I could tell he felt bad, so, but it was good. So, so the first thing I want to talk about, I, I have it pulled up on your Instagram right now, and I just did realize it's Cody McBroom. I always think of you, when I think of you in my head, like, even in my, when I put you in my calendar, I was like, Cody Boom Boom. Yeah. Like, that's how I put you in there. Um, okay, so Cody McBroom. So you put up a post, what was it? It was December 17th, and I really, it's so funny. I'm looking at it now, and I didn't like it. Like, I, I didn't like the post. I'm going to like it right now. But I remember reading it and being like, that was a great post. But for whatever reason, I didn't hit the heart button. It's so I just don't know why that happens sometimes. Like, sometimes I think we think, like, um, people don't like our posts. But I think sometimes people just literally, they read it, they like it, and they don't they don't actually hit the like button just out of, they forget or whatever it is. Yeah, um, I, and, and I've done that too, man. I've actually had people DM me telling me blank post help them. And I'll, like, go back. I'm like, you didn't even, you know, I thought you didn't comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the first sentence of this post, you, you wrote the past four weekly check-ins I've given my coach were complete shit. And, and, and I love this. I love it from the, from the copywriting aspect of it. Like it's a great way to get attention, but more importantly, and for the purposes of, of this discussion, two things. Number one is you're a coach and you're letting us know that you have your own coach, which I love in, in terms of. I think a lot of people look at personal trainers, strength coaches, nutrition coaches, whatever, and they just assume they've got all their stuff together and that they just must do their own programs. They must be motivated all the time, da, da, da. But it, it, it's super important for everyone to know that everyone needs a coach, no matter who you are, no matter how much knowledge you have. And the second part that, and 
I want to go into this is you said they were complete shit. Like the check-ins that you gave your coach were not what you wanted them to be. And I think, again, going towards the mindset of people thinking, well, coaches just always have it together. They're always motivated. They're always eating well. They're always exercising. It's like, clearly that's not what's been going on with you. So would you just want to share about that and talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, man. I think, uh, I mean, first and foremost, I've, well, technically more if you, if you go outside the realm of fitness, but I have two coaches that help me. Like I, in I've, I've tried to always have a trainer myself because I learned so much by seeing other people's programs. And I always get questions like, what are the best books to read on programming? And I'm like, well, there's like a handful maybe of good <laughs> ones, but you should go hire a coach who's really good mm. at programming because you just learn and then you can ask questions. And, and so I've always been that way. But also, uh, if, if I'm left to my own programming, I'm a program hopper. You know, like I read something or I see something and within two weeks, I'm like, oh, we're changing it up. This is going to be dope. And then two weeks later, I see something else and I want to change it again. So having a coach, it's that consistency factor. You know, it's, it's keeping me accountable of what I know actually works, which is not too much variation. Like you should have variation to keep things fun. But if you're changing shit up so frequently, how are you supposed to progress? Like you can't mm-hmm. get better at the movement and then progressively overload it, which defeats the purpose of improving, right? So Exactly. Yeah. So a big piece of it for me is is learning and then a big piece of it is consistency. And then with nutrition, um, I have another uh, coach as well. And same thing. Like I, I sought out somebody who I really respected, who's a researcher, who has – he has his PhD. He's like the top top. His name's Eric Trexler. Um from Stronger by Science. So really, really, really smart dude. And again, it's just like, how can I use somebody else's knowledge and experience to just get better at what I do for other people, you know? And in the meantime, hey, dude, get me shredded because that's the goal, right? (laughs) Um, And I've been with him for a while. We've been working at it for almost, it'll be a year in February. And we spent the first like eight to nine months just trying to gain weight and just get bigger. And then it was like, okay, let's flip the switch and let's do a cut and see where we end up in February, March. Um, but man, for the most part, like my goal with posts like that is to let people know that I'm a real human being. And I think that's where people, like you said, they think we're almost like superhuman, right? And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, on Christmas Eve, I drank a, probably a bottle of wine to myself, ate a ton of crab and butter, <laughs> and my grandma's cookies. And then the next morning I woke up and had French toast casserole with my wife and daughter <laughs> and drank Kahlua and coffee all day. And, uh, and then had like, sounds amazing to me. (laughs) And then Saturday came and it was like, all right, the holiday's over. And Shannon's like, well, I really like to do a wine and cheese board. And I'm like, (laughs) it's the holiday. (laughs) So uh, it was a third day, you know? So it wasn't until Sunday that I was like, all right, let me get my shit together and jump back on board. And, and, and this is a really good tip for people. What I didn't do is fast half the day and restrict myself and all that. Cause I still woke up hungry, even though I ate a ton of food, like, what I did is just get back on point and know that like, I'm going to be a few pounds heavier this week, mm-hmm. but it's not the end of the world. Like attack a few weeks onto my cut, maybe if that, and, and we'll be back to normal. Like you, you said something on a post a long time ago that I I've always kind of used. And it's, I think it was just some, I think it was like last Christmas. It was like something along the lines of one day off your plan doesn't ruin results. Just like one day on your plan doesn't create results, you know? Exactly. And that's, that's what it is, yep. man. That's the biggest thing. So, this post that you you made it was it was December seventeenth, and so you you said the last four check ins were not good. Oh, what yeah. what was going on? Like, cause cause I mean, I'm assuming you you have weekly check ins with your coach. Yeah, and and so what was going on 
for one, two, three, four weeks where just stuff wasn't coming together. Yeah, I uh, I jumped ahead and, and talked about Christmas and, and no, it, which is important. It's right around now. I I even think though that um most of the year is not Christmas. No. Most of the year is not New Year's, and, yeah. and you know it's the whole cliche saying. It's like you know people don't get fat between Thanksgiving and Christmas. People get fat between Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? Where it's like it's not the month and a half. It's the eleven months that people really screw things up. That they just like they let them. Go. They don't ever. They never get back on track. They're just always being inconsistent. And I liked how y- this post that you made. It was over a longer period of time. It was over a period of about a month where, like, the last four check-ins did not go the way that you wanted them to go. And I think that's much more, much more realistic for people's real life. And and it, it also works for the Christmas time as well because, like, God forbid you go off track over Christmas and New Year's for what all of five days. Get over yourself. Like, come on. But for I think people legitimately think that if they take a month off, they're going to ruin all of their progress. And I mean. I think one of the best things that's happened to me was working with Gary Vaynerchuk because I took basically two years off where I got significantly higher body fat. I lost a tremendous amount of muscle. I was eating like an asshole. And and I've now in the last year and a half been able to come and and be arguably the most fit I've ever been like conditioning wise, not, I'm not a competitive powerlifting anymore. So I'm nowhere near where I was at the peak of my powerlifting career, but blood pressure wise, health wise, body fat wise, conditioning wise, like athleticism wise, I'm, I'm really near the top of where I've ever been after two years of complete and utter nothing. I think a lot of people, they forget that there are people who they don't work out a day in their life. And and at 40, 50, 60 years old, they decide all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to get this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to, I'm going to switch this all around and get my life in order. And in a matter of a year, two years, three years, they look and feel completely different. So why in the hell would you think a month off is going to ruin all your progress? Yeah. I, I always use this as an example too. I had surgery, uh, February last year on my knee. And so that was like a six month period of time where there was almost zero leg training, you know, yeah. like reconstructive surgery on my meniscus. I had to go through rehab, all that stuff. And that was the second surgery I had on it. So this isn't the first time I've had to take a huge delay in training. And I think it, it just, it was just a speed bump, you know, like rebuilding muscle tissue was actually like a fun thing. It was, it was somewhat depressing at first, but it was, it's just part of the journey, you know? And I think, uh, like going back to those check-ins, it's funny cause those four happened and it was like a great week and then Christmas hit. So it was another, <laughs> shit. Yeah. but, um, those four weeks, it was, it was kind of just like, like you said, it wasn't any holidays, but it was one thing after another, right? Like, uh, my wife and daughter got sick. It wasn't COVID, but they got pretty sick and I had like kind of stay home and then I got sick. So that you always like, have to say that now, like anytime anyone's sick there, there always has to be the disclaimer, right? Or it's like you put something on your story and it's like, well, this was, this was from a year ago. Like you just have to put that disclaimer yeah. out cause you know, someone's going to say something about it. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was that. And then, um, after that, I want to say, uh, I actually tweaked my back squatting. Um, uh, yeah, you said week one, you got sick week two, you tweaked your back and week three, your assistant left. Yep. And then my assistant went on maternity leave. Uh, and that ended up being like, Hey, it's just going to be a couple weeks. And then some stuff happened where it was like, Hey, it might be like six weeks. And it's like, Oh shit. So, now I'm putting more on my plate, trying to look at systems again. And and so it was just one thing after another, but none of those things were predictable. None of those things mm-hmm. were controllable. I mean, I, I definitely could have slowed down on the squats and not hurt my back, but still like, 
I was going for a PR and uh, one thing after another happened. And, and if we look at life, this is what I always try to tell people. There's going to be birthdays. There's going to be barbecues. There's going to be uh, work events. There's going to be days where like your significant other just really wants to spend time with you at a restaurant or in this case, maybe like a home dinner. Um, but there's going to be so many things throughout the year that you just have to accept and mm -hmm. either a adapt or b fall off for one day and, and, you know, chalk it up as a bad day and get back on on the horse. Right. But, um, but like you said, man, like I'm, I'm a human, I'm not a robot, you know, I'm a coach. So I understand these things better than most, but that doesn't mean I don't fall victim to the same exact stuff that humans do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, now you just said something that before I go into the next topic, I think this would actually be a really cool one. This is one of the things I love about podcasts. It's like, I can have an idea of where I want to go, but then like, you'll say something I'm like, Oh, that would be really cool to talk about. So yeah. You tweaked your back going for a, a PR. Is that what happened? Yep. So walk me through that. Like, what was the PR? Like, how'd you, this is something I think, I know I, I, I have an article that I wrote, I think in 2012 or 2013, how to work up to one or at max. But like, I haven't spoken about that in years because that's just not much of what I discuss anymore. Walk me through the process. Like, all right, like, what are you doing to work up to one rep max? Like, what did you do leading up to it? Like, were you, did you prepare a month out, like six months out? Like, what was the whole process of working up to one rep max? And then how'd you tweak your back? Like, let's discuss this. And then on top of it, I think it'd be cool to talk about almost like the reality of training injuries within, within a, a lifter's day-to-day -day life, like the reality of them. I think it's like, it's going to happen sometimes. It's like, they just are. It's no matter how, how knowledgeable you are, no matter how careful you are, it's like, sometimes you're going to have an injury and it's better to know what to do once it happens rather than just assume it's not going to happen to you ever. Yeah. And, and if, if we look at mine, it was me ignoring a root cause, not necessarily me not preparing properly, which I'll get mm. into in a sec, which I think is important for people. But, um, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. I'm, I'm following a pretty, pretty. I mean, it's modified to an extent, but it's, I mean, it's West side. It's every week I'm maxing out, um, on a different lift. And then the accessory work stays the same for a few weeks to try to add progressive overload on them with my clients. I typically don't do that because I don't correct the value in them maxing out. But, um, I'm working with a guy that is like conjugate to the core and I love it. it. It's fun. Like, so, um, and everything has been going great. Like I've actually been hitting more PRs than I have in a long time, but it was back squat. Back squat has always been one of those ones for me that has just been iffy. Um, but Low I Low bar or high bar, uh, I'm a high bar squatter. So okay, got it, but it's, it's always been ever since I had that knee, first knee surgery. Right. So what happens is my hips shift to the right. Cause I had knee surgery on the left and it's subconscious. So I have to really, really focus. Well, when you have 350 plus pounds of the bar, you're not thinking that hard. You're just like, correct. Breathing hard, like, let's just fucking squat. So I, and, and going up to 300 is fine because if I shift a little bit with submaximal loads, it's not going to do too much to me, maybe leave some soreness, but it wasn't until I hit, I want to say it was 350 and I was going, I wanted to pass 365 cause that was my previous max on that one since my knee surgery. And right at 350, I just shifted too much, and it just my back just gave no. out. I lower finished back. The, yeah, lower back. I, finished <laughs> I did finish it though. <laughs> I stood up with it. <laughs> and, uh, and and I even tried. I was like, all right, like maybe it's just you know a little tight. Like let me stretch. And then I started like doing some single leg RDLs. And I was like, now I'm done. And I just and I stopped for the day. But it, it's one of those it, things. Was that too. like that weak feeling? That like weak in the the weak. It wasn't even so much pain, but you could feel your back was weak and like it just wasn't firing right. 100%. And I think 
what people have to be careful of, and I have, I've been good about remembering now, is that your adrenaline and cortisol and that fight or flight response will get you through it. So I could have probably kept lifting, but what I had to do is go like, something doesn't feel right. Let me just stop it. You know, missing half a workout is not going to be the end of the world. Dude, when I like, I, you know, I drank some water, got my truck, started driving home. By the time I got home, I was like crawling into the house. Like, it was so bad. Like I couldn't move. I had like ice pack around me. I went to the PT massage, Cairo, like back to back all week. Like it was really bad. But the key is, is like my adrenaline was so high from having that weight on my back that like, I was like, oh, I think it's fine, but let me test it out. And then within an hour, it was like crippling, you know? So people got to know that because your mind will keep pushing you through if, if adrenaline's getting up and, and you're hyped up from the training session. But, um, but the funny thing is, man, I, I warmed up like a very strategic dynamic warm up. I did a little bit of foam rolling, went through my full mobility circuit. I even did some primers. So like starting with some goblet squats and, and box jumps, like things to get me ready, mm-hmm. slowly worked up to that one rep max. Everything was textbook. Perfect. Right. It was, it was by the book. The problem was, is that I've been ignoring this hip shift and I've been just mm. trying to like brute force through everything. So like when I went to the PT, he's like, doing some ART and some movement stuff. And he's like, dude, you just, you got to really like fix this left side. Cause you're just compensating so much. And that's exactly what happened. Um, feel great now. Um, I'm back to deadlifting and squatting, but it's just, I'm being sub maximal with the one rep maxes on that. Um, or doing like a front squat, for example, I did uh, Anderson squats, but front squat variation, mm-hmm. um, one rep max and those feel fine, you know, because with a front squat, you're going to be a little bit safer on the low back than a back squat, obviously. But, but yeah, man, I think it, preparation aside, I just was ignoring what the root cause was that was creating dysfunction in the first place. Mm. And it was only a matter of time before it was just going to you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Man, <laughs> it's so funny. Like it's, it's easier. Everything is easier said than done. But I remember especially like fortunately now with the training that I'm doing, like I don't get injured from strength training right now. If I get injured, it's from jujitsu. Like if I'm getting hurt, it's from jujitsu. It's not from the strength training I'm doing because it's so sub-maximal. It's difficult. And this is something I, I want to talk with you about as well, like intensity, right? You can, we, to, to, we could talk about intensity in terms of how much weight you're lifting or also intensity in terms of how hard you're pushing yourself. And and they're not even remotely the same. Like they can they overlap. There's a Venn diagram where there's overlap, but it's not the same. You can go really, really hard without lifting very heavy weight. But man, I, I was thinking about during my powerlifting career, how there'd be times when, you know, just some, you feel it, you feel something in your back, you feel something in your hamstring, you feel something in your shoulder. And it's not an excruciating pain. It, it's not like in that moment, adrenaline's going, you're like, whatever, like pre-workout, whatever, like you don't feel like, oh man, like that was bad, but you feel something. And there's almost the way that I think about it is like it's just this slight weakness that shouldn't be there. There's just this slight that you're not as strong as you should be and you can feel it. And then what happens is that maybe you go lie down for five minutes, whatever it is, you just take a rest and almost you feel like a boa constrictor is starting to like to wrap itself around you. That muscle all of a sudden just starts to tighten, tighten, tighten. And the number of times in my youth and when, when I was a power lifter that I tried to push through it, man, and just made it way worse. And, and really, cause if you keep going, you won't feel the pain yet. If you keep going, your adrenaline stays high, like you can push through it. But I remember, I remember the first time that 
I felt it, that I felt it go. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. And I called it. And I was so glad because the recovery from that was so much faster than the other times where I was like, you know, I'm going to keep pushing through the workout. I'm going to do some RDLs. I'm going to do some glute ham raises. I'm going to do some lunges. I'm going to end with farmer's walks. And by the time I'd spend another 35 minutes in the gym pushing through this pain, and then the recovery from that is another two weeks. Whereas if I just finished the workout, even though I only might have done one movement, I finished the workout, I call it responsibly. I know that, all right, I need to stop right here because something happened that didn't feel right. I get right back in the gym the next day or two days later and I'm fine. But it, it's re- it takes a tremendous amount of, of willpower and self-control to be like, all right, I'm going home. Yeah, it really does. And, and, and one of the things that always happened to me when I tried to push through is my spinal erectors would get pretty torn up and, and inflamed from mm-hmm. like acute injury, right? So a little bit. And that's where like that boa constrictor is a perfect analogy because I start feeling it. And when I keep going, they just get tighter and tighter and tighter. And that's where it's like, fuck, now I can't even walk, right? Now yes. Um, but like you said, like neurologically speaking, like mentally, like I'm, I'm here. I can, I still have the energy. Like, let's do it. Like I can still yes. get through it. Um, and it's even worse sometimes when, like if I have like a gym partner with me, it's almost worse. Oh. Yeah. Yep. I'm not done. Come on, man. <laughs> Just bad lip. But then I have to like, and then the, but, but here's the thing to always remember for people listening. That part sucks telling your gym partner, like you got to call it quits. But what's even worse is texting him the next day and saying, you should have called it quits. <laughs> yes, exactly. I knew I should have called it, man. Yeah. The, the ego, the ego's got to go. That's yeah. like, I think the ego is more powerful than any pre-workout. The ego is more powerful than any uh, adrenaline rush. The ego will keep you going when you know you should not. The ego is like it's going to argue with you. It's going to convince you to stay, to keep going, to keep pushing. It is the dumbest thing. And I think the only way you learn that is through experience. You you can't know until you go through it one too many times. But, uh, yeah, the ego is really – you got to let it shut up. And I think – and I think there's a balance between that too, though. You know, there's the people that, that need to make it shut up. And then there's also the people that it's almost the opposite. Like they, they don't have an ego, but they're also almost insecure. And, and mm. that goes back to that intensity. I like to distinguish them as intensity or effort because I think it's easier for people to understand, yeah. but we're on the same exact page. Like intensity is, you know, low technically, but like there's an intensity aspect of just pushing yourself. And Ben Pikulski was one of the first ones that I followed that like really made this click for me years ago because he he's huge and he might have 135 pounds on the bar and he's making it excruciating and it's like what is he doing here you know what's going on and it's it's focus it's it's intent like how are you intending to do each rep um but i think that there's people that are sometimes a little bit insecure and maybe just lacking experience that they don't understand how to get to that point right they don't Mm -hmm. One, they don't have the skill to, because I mean, it's a skill to go through a movement pattern and try to activate and create tension and, and slow down and have a tempo. Um, and like I posted about this the other day, like your, your mind's going to quit before your muscles do. So like getting to that point where your mind's like, all right, that, that's, that's an RPE eight. And then you squeeze out six more reps and it's like, oh, maybe it wasn't an RPE eight because your mind will always go to that negative place first, right? It'll always yeah. come away because it's resistance. And, and I've even watched videos of myself where I'm like, I do a, a set and I literally go like, yeah, I maybe had one in the tank. And then I watch it and I'm like, I look like I have four in the tank. Yeah. I was moving quick. And it's like, it's, it's, it's just perception, you know? That's one of the best parts about videoing yourself. I think way more people need to video themselves in the gym because it's, it's tremendous when you, 
when you're doing goblet, goblet squats, for example, it's so funny. I, like when I would coach people in person, I would do this all the time. I would have them do one set with a weight. I'd ask, how is that? They're like, I got to stay there. I was like, how is that weight? Like, I'm not going up. Like that was really, really heavy. Then on their second set, I'll film it or record it. I'm not using a fucking film. I'll record it on my phone. Right. And then, uh, I'll show that. I'll ask them how that feel like this is like really, really heavy. Then I'll show them how it looks. And they're like, Oh my God, that looks so much easier than it feels. It's such an important thing to be aware of. Because, I mean, listen, you take a, a 24 kilogram kettlebell, you take a 50 pound dumbbell, you do goblet squats with it. It's, it's hard. It's not easy. Like it's, you're holding 50 pounds in your hand. Like that's heavy. doesn't, maybe it's 40 pounds, maybe it's 30 pounds, whatever, but like, it's always going to be hard. But as you get stronger, and this is like the most basic progressive overload principles, like you have to keep challenging yourself. You have to keep putting, whether maybe you put more weight on, maybe you do another rep, maybe do another two reps, maybe you slow the repetitions down. So you have more time under tension. But I, I think for me, I think that one of the easiest ways to keep challenging yourself, once you watch the video, you see how how easy it actually is for you, or the reverse, which was a whole other discussion, but we see how easy it is for you. Before you try and go up and wait, just try and get another two, three reps in, right? Like make that your goal, add one, two, three reps. Once you get another three reps on top of the prescribed rep range, then you increase weight. That's all progressive overload, and it's a really good way for you. Like, let's say it's you're doing three sets of ten, right? Three sets of ten, and then um, you watch the video. You're like, wow, it's moving much faster than I anticipated or that I thought I was. Cool. So then you make it three sets of thirteen. Once you get thirteen in there, you got to move up and wait. It's yeah. like, and then you go back down to ten, and it's challenging again. But I think sometimes if if the reps are ten, and then you go up to wait, go up and wait, and you can only get seven or eight reps, then they feel a little bit demoralized about it. I, I often use like a double progression method where it's like it, it's rep ranges instead of solid because I think that helps people, right? They'll be like, all right, well, it's eight to 10 reps and, you know, I'm hitting this. Should I go up and wait or should I add reps? I'm like, go up and wait and, you know, just stay within that range. And they're like, oh, shit, I still got 10, mm-hmm. you know, because like you said, a lot of times the perception is the opposite. They're not confident about that weight. But if they're doing 50 pounds for 10 and they're scared about 55, I'm like, well, do 55. You have you have that range. So if you hit eight, you're still winning, you know, and yeah. then you hit more than eight. Um, and that encouraged, especially for gen pop, right? There's a lot of people like that are like, you can give me a percentage of one rep max, an exact rep count with an RPE, and I'll be I'll, I'll be able to guess it pretty well. I've been training for over 10 years, you know, so it's right. like I can figure it out. But for a lot of gen pop people who is most commonly who we're working with, it's like, give them rep ranges, give them RPEs and teach them what RPE is. So they know yes. like how hard your effort should be. And this is how your final rep should feel. And that's something I always try to explain to clients too, is like, all right, well, if this is a set of eight and it's RPE eight, that means you technically have two in the tank, but I want you to think of this as your eighth rep is very fucking hard. Like mm-hmm. you could squeeze out two more, you'd get one more grinder and you'd get one more shitty rep with bad form. Like, because uh, RPE 10 is failure. So you're literally, you're done. So I think even when people see RPE 8, they're like, oh, I'm leaving a couple in the tank. It's like, yes, but that's like absolute max reps left in the tank. You know what I mean? Like you, you, RPE 8 is still difficult. You can't get away from challenging yourself. You can't get away from pushing hard. Like it's just required, you know, and that's Correct. The part about training. It's just like dieting. Dieting can be simple. It can be stress free, but there are going to be times where it's hard. You have to eat less. And that's what a yep. deficit is. <laughs> it's not always fun, but you got to deal with it. And I think there's a lot of people that avoid telling clients that and their followers that. And, and it's like, 
I mean, you beat the deficit in, as like a dead horse, man. Like, so people get it when they follow you, but it's like, it's not always easy, but it's required. I don't care how, how you go about it. You got to do it. You know, you, you know what I'm thinking? I, I feel like <laughs> one of the reasons I love talking with you is because we talk so much training and especially like we both love higher level advanced strength training. This goes in a sort of a different direction than what I was within some of the things I wanted to talk about, but I do think it's really important because I think there are probably a fair amount of people listening who have no idea what RPE is, and, and I've never explained it on my podcast. So do you want to just like run through, like do like a legit, like, hey, let's do like a, a three to five minute explanation, RPE, yeah. what is it? How does it work? How can you use it? And maybe I'm thinking as I'm saying this, I might title this podcast like something about RPE and have this be the place that people go to if they don't understand it in the future. Perfect. Yeah, man. Um, it's, it's funny. It's on my list of, of videos and podcasts to create myself because I get a lot of questions on it and I haven't gone in depth on it either. But um, RPE stands for rate of perceived exertion. Uh, if we go back in, uh, actually, we just did a, uh, my CSO and I did a podcast, isn't aired yet, uh, a research roundup where he, he actually went into the research on RPE and then we- Oh, that's awesome. It was cool. Uh, but if you go back in history, RPE was, uh, it was a scale from, I want to say like three to 20 or seven to 20 or something like that. And it was strictly for endurance athletes, right? It was kind of a weird number and it was a weird setup, but it was just a way for them to gauge their intensity and predict their duration essentially. Like if I have an hour long ride, I need to be at this RPE to be able to sustain this heart rate and mm -hmm. this intensity for this long period of time. You know, if I overshoot that, I'm going to tap out 10 minutes early because I have an hour long ride or whatever it may be. And then, uh, I want to say it was Mike to who kind of took yeah. that and was like, let's bring it into powerlifting. Right. And it was, yeah, now he really, wow. I haven't heard his name in so long. Yeah, yeah. He really did popularize it for lifting. Didn't he Yeah, give credit yeah. where it's due? Um, and then later people like Eric Helms and stuff started doing studies on it and everything, but it's, uh, it, now it's become more of a powerlifting thing. And I want, most people use like an RPE scale of like six to 10, you could technically go one to 10, but if you're leaving more than six reps in the tank, it's really, there's no point in putting an RPE. It's like, you're warming up, just, just tell them to warm up, you know, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> um, but as we go up the scale, like 10 is absolute failure. Nine is leaving one rep in the tank. Eight is leaving two reps in the tank. Seven is leaving three. Six is four. Five is five, right? So the way I use it is, is a, a warm-up is going to be, you know, RPE five to six. Like you're leaving plenty in the tank, but you're feeling your muscles. You're going through range of motion. It's not necessarily easy, but it's definitely not hard. Then we get into uh, explosive work, which for the gem pop is going to be a med ball throw, a jam ball throw. This one I will actually go like RPE 10 slash seven. And it kind of confuses people, but I tell them like, Hey, I want your intensity to be at a 10. I need you to literally try to break that ball when you're slamming it. Mm -hmm. However, like, I don't want you to use such a heavy ball that you literally couldn't do it again if you wanted to, you know, because yes. you don't That's need a great distinction. Yeah. Grab an eight pound ball, be explosive. That's all you gotta do. You know, you don't need a ton of load. Um, it's like Louis saying, it's like you move the lightweights, like they're heavy and the heavyweights, like they're light. Exactly. It's like. If you're it doesn't if you're using a lightweight, you treat it like it's heavy and you be as explosive as possible with it. Yeah. I remember way back watching Mike Boyle work with some athletes that were I want to say they were football players, just jacked, right? And they were using like an eight or ten pound ball. And I'm I was thinking, like I was in college a long time ago, thinking like, man, that dude's like two fifty. Like, why is he using an eight or ten pound ball? 
And it's like, it's, it's just about force and velocity. You know, he's just trying to move fast and get that ball as far as he can in this throw. That's what the purpose is. It's a neurological adaptation. Um, and then when we move into compound lifts, I'm, we're usually staying in the eight to 10 RPE, which is basically saying you're going to leave anywhere between zero to two reps in the tank. Usually on a compound lift, we're not going RPE 10 because that's literal failure. Um, even when I'm working up to a one rep max, it's usually like a nine, you know, um, then accessory work is usually going to stay in that seven to nine, depending on what it is. And this is where we're mm-hmm. going is RDLs, things like that. It should be challenging. You should be progressing. It should be hard, but you should be leaving a couple reps in the tank because you don't need to be going max out on everything. And if you're going to push closer to failure on anything, it should probably be a, your compound lift. Cause that's the main thing we're trying to progress. And then B, it should be the, uh, very low risk accessory and isolation work. So if I'm doing inverted rows, 100%, go to RP10. I don't care. Like you, you fail on inverted row, what happens? You don't get all the way up and then you lay back down. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. totally <laughs> um, going RPE 10 on a back squat leads to low back issues. Like I just. <laughs> Uh, and doing an RPE 10 on curls is great. Like your limitation on a curl of RPE 10 is you have so much blood flow and metabolite accumulation in that muscle that you, it's just hard to curl anymore. You just got such a gnarly pump, but you don't wake up the next day with your nervous system just zapped from doing so many curls right now. If you wake up with elbow pain, you definitely went a little too hard or your forms off, but but this RPE scale kind of works as a way to just gauge people's intensity. So when you look at a program, it goes from a lower RPE to a higher RPE and then back down to a lower and then really back up to a higher depending on what your finisher is, which is usually going to be low risk of injury exercises and, and circuits and EDTs and things like that. Um, the other thing I would throw in there is that sometimes I will use – a lot of times actually I will use RIR. Sometimes I do both. So I'll say RPE8 slash RIR2. Because for some people, it's easier to think in actual numbers. So if I go, all right, I'm doing a set of six, but I have an RP8. So what is that really like? You know, in RIR2 is just saying like, all right, well, if you're doing a set of six, you should be doing something that your absolute max would be eight reps, right? You just leave two reps in reserve, right? And I think that's a really good way to do it. And, And depending on the person, the last thing I will say is, depending on the person that you're working with, sometimes you almost have to go RPE10 or RIR0 to teach them how to use this scale. So there's a lot of times where I'll start the first like block or two of somebody's training going to almost failure way more often with like lower risk. Like we're not back squatting. We're not doing these crazy things, but the intensity is through the roof because I want them to learn how it feels to mm-hmm. fail, how it feels to push that level of intensity. And then once we do that, we go, Hey, now we have your foundation. You kind of understand what we're doing here. We can use RIR and RPE in your programming for bigger lifts and stuff. And you can safely and effectively use it now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just for everyone who, who doesn't know, RIR stands for reps in reserve. So if he says RIR2, that means you have two reps left in reserve, where basically essentially the same thing as an RPE8, which is more or less the same thing. Um, one of the things that I that I've found with this, and I think it's really important for people to remember, because we threw out a lot of numbers like RPE, da, 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 what does this mean? I think number one, it's, it's important to understand it. it's, ju- it's just a guide right? It's just a guide, right? So if what's the real take home, like if we're going to boil it down to like, all right, well, what's the take home from this? The take home is that if you're finishing your set and it wasn't difficult in any way, shape or form, then you're doing it wrong. 
right? It's like, and I see this a lot. I see this way too much. I know you and I, we, the majority of the people we work with are women, uh, do work with men, but obviously the, the higher percentage of women. And I see this all the time. Generally speaking, I see men, they use way too high of an intensity in terms of, in terms of weight, right? So like they'll be at RPE 10, way too often and their back is rounding and the veins in their neck are popping out and they're grunting and screaming. It's like, bro, this is a goblet squat. You need to chill, right? It's like put the 110 pound weight away and let's make sure you're getting a depth at the 55 pound dumbbell. On the other hand, and I'm speaking in generalities here, obviously. Um, but on the other hand, I see a lot of women who like, they'll pick up the, the 15 pound dumbbell and do 10 goblet squats. And I'm like, the fuck are you like, you get a 50 pound weight. You're strong. I think this is like, this is where you have to, this is part of the learning process of lifting, right? Learning that your RPE will change, your perception of yourself will change, your perception of your own strength will change. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I think men tend to think they're stronger than they are and women tend to think they're weaker than they are. It's yeah. just like, and this is just like from experience working. And this is also personal experience as well. It's like, I go into the jujitsu gym and like, for whatever reason, I think I'm great. I'm th I, I'll like beat, beat these people up. And then I get tapped out and I get choked out and I get arm barred and I get leg locked. And I'm like, I have to be reminded that I'm really not that good. It's yeah. like when you go to the gym, you have to be reminded where your weakness is. If your weakness is that you think you're stronger than you are, the barbell is going to show you that you're not. If yeah. your weakness is that you think you're weaker than you are, well, sometimes it helps to have someone say, hey, pick up a fucking heavier weight. And that's where the coach comes in. But also that's where this this RPE scale you can use to your advantage. If you don't have a coach, RPE is your coach. And, and I think what you can learn over time is that your RPE will change the more advanced you get. So what might have been an RPE 10 your first week in the gym well, now it's going to be an RPE 7 two months in. And then the it will change because not just in terms of the weight you're using, but the idea of, of the pain right? Like the, the lifting pain, the, the metabolic stress that we have, like it might've been really scary and you might've had fear, anxiety as a result of it, any number of things. The more you train, the more advanced you get, your idea of an RPE seven, eight, nine will change because you're more used to it. Yeah. I think this is like, I heard somebody say that, uh, a really a coach I really respect that beginners don't need deloads. And at first I'm like, man, that's kind of weird because like, it's such a new stimulus to them that the adaptation is crazy. So they probably need more recovery. But his reasoning was he was like, they don't even understand how to take it far enough to need a deload. Correct. Like, That's that exactly right. Or not that, that they're not getting great results, but they just don't, they haven't earned a deload yet. And I was like, man, that's a really good point. It goes to, to what you're saying. Like as you develop skill in the gym and training, you just understand RPE and uh, your intensity levels way better. And, and, and sometimes having a coach that understands cues, like, like obviously we both have, uh, like memberships and inner circle kind of like programming that goes out and RPE is a great way to help those people. Cause you can't individually coach hundreds of people in this membership. But, um, another thing that I've, I've used a good example is, uh, like a dumbbell press and a dumbbell row. Mm. Um, and maybe it's a superset and it says three sets of eight on each of them. And I'll see on the program, they use like 25, like a woman uses 25 and 25. And now I'll leave a note and say, you can row at least, like studies say, <laughs> row 25% more at least than you can press, right? And I think that's a fair, like having experience, a fair statement, right? Sometimes yes. it's even 50% more. You know, it's just, it's 
adding that extra weight and giving them some like like pre-existing like experience-based evidence of like what I've seen like hey add 25% to your to your dumbbell press for your row right and it's and it's that guidance of like well this is what I'm supposed to do they'll do it they realize they can do it because I can't tell you how many times I've I've like looked at programs after a full four-week block and been like fuck you've been rowing the (laughs) time like grab the 40 I just just try it and if you fail fail but you're not gonna get hurt on a dumbbell row so just just try it um and then we see where they're actually at with that intensity. And, and that helps a lot, you know, having those cues in there. And I think it's important and, and it's, and it can be humbling too, man. Like I'm actually, uh, and you, you'll appreciate this. Cause I, I've always looked at myself like more, I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm not a power lifter. I'm not, uh, any type of athlete. I'm just a fitness enthusiast. You know, I've done mixed martial arts. I've done soccer, extreme sports, like skateboarding, um, powerlifting, bodybuilding, all that kind of stuff. The one thing I haven't done is Olympic lifting and mm. part of me is scared because it's so skill oriented, right? Yes. But I also have a buddy who is a strength and conditioning coach at an army base out here who is like one of the best Olympic lifters I've ever seen. And, uh, and he also skateboards. He also has tattoos. He listens to the same music. Like we have so much in common. We're great friends. And I'm like, fuck, all right, I'm just going to ask him. I was like, Hey, I want to pay you to personally train me in the new year. He's like, what? And I was like, once a week, come to the warehouse, teach me how to Olympic lift, man tell me what your rate is. And he's like super stoked, but it's, it's going to be a completely new learning curve for me. And it's going to teach me a lot because I'm fucking horrible at Olympic lifting with a barbell. So it's like, it's, it's a completely new game and I'm going to have to, and you probably had to do this with BJJ. You have to not only acquire a new skill and maybe a different level of fitness, not necessarily more fitness, but just different aspects. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also mobility, like being able to get into the positions. Now I'm like, fuck, I can, my overhead reach is not that great. Um, and I'm sure the same thing happened with you in, in BJJ, just being ready for it. Man, Olympic lifting is, is it's, it's literally a different sport. It's, it's so, so skill oriented. It's funny the way that I always explain it, you know, the lifts that are the most skill oriented based on how much you can grind through them. The more you can grind through a lift, the less skill oriented it is, right? So a deadlift, I mean, you see people, they, their back is rounded like a scared cat and they're shaking on the way up and they're, you know, trying to get their hips through. And it's like, <laughs> there's no video for this podcast, but like you get the visual where they're like, you see people, they'll throw up mid deadlift or they'll pee themselves mid deadlift or squats. Like one of my best buddies from years ago literally pooped himself while he was squatting 800 pounds and he still finished the lift. It's like with Olympic lifts. You can't do, there's no grinding. It is such precision, so meticulous. There's, there's no grind. It's just, you either get it or you don't. And that's one of the the coolest parts about Olympic lifting is when I see people just learning those lift broomstick, starting with a broomstick, like you're not even using the training bar yet. You're not even using a 10 pound bar. You're using a broomstick. And I think, you know, that's one of the cool parts about that. And it brings up another point relative to what we were talking about in terms of risk of injury and, and RPE, like, uh, inverted row, go to failure. It doesn't matter. Like worst comes to worst. You just sit down on the ground with a dumbbell row. Worst comes to worst. You put the dumbbell back on the ground with a bicep curl. Worst comes to worst. You drop the dumbbells. We're talking about a bench press. No, worst comes to worst. That bar lands on your neck back squat. Worst comes to worst. Like that bar like comes down on you hard and then you're, or you injure your back. The bar comes down on you deadlift, tear a hamstring off the bone. Like there's real injury risk for going to an RPE 10, but it's a really important 
aspect of understanding the movement that you're doing and the RPE associated with it and sort of thinking about your training from a different perspective of, okay, well, an RPE 10 in this movement is a little bit different than an RPE 10 in this movement because of the risk to reward ratio. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's, uh, and this is not a bash against CrossFit because I genuinely enjoy watching CrossFit. I think it's extremely fascinating and they're, they're freaks and it's, it's awesome, you know, but I think that's one of the big problems is people like, if you look at Matt Frazier, uh, I was actually just listening to a podcast with him. He started Olympic what lift a beast. At what an absolute beast. <laughs> yeah. And if you start Olympic lifting at 12, by the time you get to the games, you're so proficient at those things that doing 20 snatches with 225 is like, you're so proficient that you're going to do it. If you do fail, it's going to be low injury risk because you know how to fail. Right? You know how to fail. But the person that just started CrossFit three months ago, like you got to take it slow. You got to go easy because those are very high risk things. I'm stepping into a high risk of injury modality, but it's to me exciting because I, like I said, I'm a fitness enthusiast and, and not that powerlifting's not, but I look at Olympic lifting like the sport of fitness mm. because, yes. you, know, you know, it's like the art. It's an art. It's just, and, and it's just super impressive. So to me, it's, it's one of those things too where like when I'm 50 and I've had decades of fitness behind me, I want to be able to say like I did a bodybuilding competition. I did a powerlifting meet. Um, I jumped in Olympic weightlifting. Who knows if I'll actually compete at it. But I've done all this shit. You know, I've, I've experienced everything and I can actually give you good advice at what I think the best modalities are, what works for you, how to adapt to it. Um, and even just reminding people that it's fun, like going into this, I'm doing a little bit of powerlifting, a little bit of bodybuilding. I still do conditioning work and I'm going to be adding some Olympic lifting, like ask a very, very science-based strength coach. And that's a horrible way to get great results because it's not specific whatsoever, right? Specificity is a huge strength principle, but it's really fun. And to Mm -hmm. me, I'm at a place where I give a shit more about fun in the gym than I do about results in the gym, right? Not that results aren't important and everybody has those periods of time where, Results need to take priority because you need to get results, right? But now I'm at a place where like, man, I just want to have fun again. I want to be in the gym for two hours just having a blast, you know, and and this is what it takes for me. It's funny, like (laughs) gains in life are way more important than gains in the gym, right? And I think if 22 year old me heard me say that he'd be like, what a wuss, (laughs) like 22 year old me would turn the podcast off right now and unfollow me and say, what an idiot. Absolutely not. But older me understand, like fun is the most important part by far. And the cool part about it is when you're having fun, the results will come from it. It might not be the most uh, scientifically accurate, most like uh, meticulously designed plan. But I think what 22 year old me was missing was that most people are not trying to be a professional Olympic athlete. That that's what twenty two year old me really missed the boat on. Twenty two year old me was like everyone everyone's gonna be a high level power lifter. Like that's the and everyone needs to get as strong as humanly possible. And like that's it. And that's really I think where I was really missing the boat as a coach. And that where I probably didn't help as many people as I could have. Whereas now it's like, listen, this might not be scientifically on paper the the most optimal plan according to super training by the late Dr. Mel Siff, who like what an amazing man, right? Absolutely incredible. But the perfect plan on paper means absolute dog shit if you're not enjoying it and if you're not gonna stick with it. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I could, I could not agree more. And I, it's actually funny. I think one of the things I try to preach the most 
inside a program inside is fun. Like I always, I always do like informative posts of like the 10 things to, you know, 10 programming principles or anything like that. And it's always like, those posts are great, man. Fun enjoyment, you know, because that's, that's really the only way. And even if I'm not having fun, I'm not motivated. If I'm not motivated, I'm not even going to progressively overload. Even if the paper says I need to, I'm going to be like, fuck mm-hmm. this. I just don't care. <laughs> like, People ask me all the time. They're like, what do, what do you think of orange theory? Or what do you think of berries? Or what do you think of CrossFit? Or what do you like? Do you like it? That's like, do you like it? They're like, well, no, actually I hate it because like, it, I, I don't enjoy it at all. It's like, cool. Then, then don't do it. But then if it, this can, I can go the other way, right? Where it's like, well, I don't like yoga. I don't like CrossFit. I don't like berries. I don't like strength training. I don't like doing, I don't like Olympic lifting. I don't like powerlifting. I don't like kettlebells. I don't like this. It's like, all right, motherfucker. Well, and this is actually another thing. And, and I know you have to go soon, but like, this is, <laughs> this is something that I, I, I said it to a coach recently where I, fr- I forget who the coach was, but we were having a discussion and they were talking about how, um, so to the effect of you have to find what you enjoy, but there are some people who are never going to enjoy exercise. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it. It's like, there are some things in life that you're going to have to do, even if you don't enjoy it. Yes. Fun, and, and maybe you don't like exercise, but you find a coach that you really, really like. You find a community, a supportive community that is, is there for you, that you can relate with, that's going to hold you accountable. You ha- Even if you don't like sweating, you don't like getting your heart rate up, you don't like strength training, you don't like being sore, you got to do it like for your health, for your family, for, for you as an individual, for everyone that you're going to come in contact with. It's going to make you a better person. And there are many things like reading books. You, you should read books. Like you just, you should read, like, even if you don't like it, you should read, you should floss, you should work out. Even if you don't like it, find ways, even if you don't enjoy it, do your best to find ways to make it somewhat enjoyable. Yeah. Sometimes it's about sucking less than it is about like loving something, you know, cause mm-hmm. there's, there's times where like dieting is another one of those examples. This is an example of that again. Like there's going to be people who like, if you come to me, you're like, oh, I don't, I've never had this. You probably had this too. I don't eat vegetables. I don't like vegetables. Like, uh, uh, well, figure out which ones you hate the least and start fucking eating. Because <laughs> from just never eating vegetables, I've had people say the same thing with fruit, which to me is shocking. I love fruit. I can eat fruit all day, and uh, I, love but fruit. Say, I don't like fruit. And I'm like, well, figure out which one you hate the least, and let's find a way to prepare it right. Because you need these vitamins and minerals in your body. Period. You know, and it's and like you said, it's the same thing with exercise. Um, you got to figure out a way to do it no matter what because it's just one of those things that you can't get around. Calorie deficit, you can't get around it. Right? It's, a, it's like I don't care how you go about it, keto, fasting, anything. You got to have a deficit if you want to lose weight, period. Um, yeah, and I, and I actually had uh, somebody, they they were just starting with me. They just signed up with coaching, and they filled out their questionnaire and everything for me before I got the ball rolling. And they were like – on Saturdays, I go running with my husband and it's like a great way for us to connect. Like, but I know you don't like running. So please don't, please like, just, can I please keep it? Like, we'll figure out a way. If you don't want me to, I can totally take it out. Like run four times with your husband a week. I don't give a shit. If that creates a bond and you're being active, then fuck yeah. Like just do me a favor, do some mobility. So you don't bang up your knees and ankles a little bit and we'll be fine. Like, I, I don't care what you do as long as you want Zumba. Fucking great. Like it's, it's fun, you know, and it's keeping you here. If I removed that from her, she would have gone like 30 days on the plan. And then like, I would have gone MIA and I would have gotten no check-in. And then like weeks later, she's like, Hey, I fell off. 
because I just wasn't enjoying it. Right. And that's, that's not what we want. Correct. It's one, like I've had clients say like, Hey, so I want to do, I do CrossFit four times a week and then I do kettlebell classes three times a week. And then I run 10 miles a week and I like, all right, listen, pick which one is your favorite? Like, which one can you not live without? And let's stick with that. And then from there, they choose the one that they really, really love. They're going to be way more consistent with it. Anytime someone's like, you can't do this, you can't do that. They're like, fuck off. Right. It's like, anytime you tell someone not to do something like it's not going to work out very well. If that's it, I don't care if it's a, if it's a, a romantic relationship, I don't care if it's a coaching relationship, professional, whatever it is. If you just point your finger and say like, you can't do this anymore. It's not going to end well. It's not going to last very, very long. So if they have like all these different things, it's like, well, which one is your favorite? Which one can you not live without? And then there were some times where they'd be like, oh, I need to do all of it. I need to do all of it. And and usually I found with that situation, it comes from a place of fear as opposed to actual enjoyment. The people who are like doing yeah. so much exercise, like they're doing, they're waking up early, they're going to bed late, they got to work out or else God forbid, it's coming from a place of fear of getting fat and losing all their progress rather than a place of actually loving it. And then with them, usually what I'll, we'll have like real deep conversations that go far beyond what we'll talk about today. But yeah, the, the line that always worked really well as a coach, I'd always be like, listen, if you're not getting the results you want and you're still doing all of this stuff on the side, you can't get mad at me because you're not following my program. And that was the line that oftentimes took people to be like, okay, fine, I'll take a break. And then that turned out to be the best thing for them because now they actually had crazy thought, real rest days, right? Yeah. Like, oh my God, you have a whole day where you're not pushing yourself to the max. And then the next time you go to the gym, you feel incredible. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've had that exact same conversation with people, man. It's, it's honestly crazy. And it is, it's a, it's a fear that people have that they're just going to lose all progress. And you, it, it, this is the coach's duty to educate. Right? Like you mm -hmm. have to teach your clients what's going on, not just give them a script. And, and I think teaching them that like, Hey, like exercise should be a form of love, not punishment. Because mm -hmm. if you look at it like you're punishing yourself, then you're going to keep trying to do more. And we've, we've both had clients like this where like, I've had clients that are like, Oh, I get like 20,000 steps a day. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> are you a dog? Are you a golf caddy? No. Okay. <laughs> Stop, first of all. <laughs> and and there was actually a cool study that examine.com published. And it was like, once you hit about 7,000 steps a day, you start getting all these health benefits. And then once you pass 13,000 steps, you don't get any more health mm. benefits. So yes, you burn more calories, but obviously metabolic adaptation occurs and you won't be burning those calories forever. But like, just stay in that seven to 13, get enough movement. Like you don't need to go to 20,000 steps a day and Correct. do your running on Saturdays and lift. And like, it's just, it's crazy. But it, it's people that are so worried about regressing and it goes back to the first thing we said on this podcast, like one day, like that, that mentality of like one day off isn't going to ruin your results. Just like one day on isn't going to create them. It's the same thing with this. Like that's, it's, it's just not how it works. I love that. I think, I think that's a, a great place to end. Um, Cody, you're the man. I fucking love you. I love these conversations. Can you tell people where they can follow you and where go follow Cody right now? Like right now, where on Instagram can they follow you? at Cody McBroom, uh, just one word. And uh, everything else is tailored coaching. Amazing. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes just so people can can see it. But man, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, have an amazing new year. And uh, any anything you want to add or is that good? We'll just cut it right here. Nothing, man. Uh
I appreciate you having me as always. I always love these conversations and I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Um, and, and we'll, I'll, I'll connect with you soon cause we still got to do that seminar, man. And I'm, I'm looking at dates and for the next year, hopefully COVID kind of calms down a little bit, but we got to do something, but I appreciate you, man, a ton. I would love it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, dude. Have a wonderful day. All right. All right, brother.